You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring, and SunWiz, makers of PV cell software. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, One Step Off the Grid, and that new wonderful electric vehicle website called The Driven. And I'm joined as usual by Nigel Morris, who is a contributor to Renew Economy and The Driven, and of course from Solar Analytics. How are you, Nigel? Really good. Thanks, Giles. How are you today? Oh, look, I'm pretty cheerful, actually, I've got to say. Um, cheerful? Cheerful. Well, there is a lot going around or going on, there and sure um, is. that's a wonderful antidote um, to the um, to the stuff happening in Canberra or not happening in Canberra. I mean, it's more and more ridiculous. Um, I'm just fascinated by this new power source they've actually discovered down there called Fed Income Energy. Yeah. Um, which we changing the, the name of the podcast, right? I think we should Fed Income Fed Income Insiders. Fed Income, <laughs> Fed income Power Insiders. FDP FDPI. FDPI. Um, yes. Oh, that's yes. got a ring. Jeez, I'll tell you what, if we, get, if we get a bit of feedback from the sponsors, I reckon we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. Look, and and because they're fed income about power now, they um, they want a Royal Commission into it. Mate, uh, you know, um, I hope you published the um, slightly angry letter that I sent you yesterday, Giles, about this issue, because I'm just... You know, I'm honestly, not too, I'm not too sure that contributors should be using a podcast to actually force the editors to review their article <laughs> and publish it. But still, I'll, I'll let that one go. <laughs> I'll let that one through. Well, it's it's you know the thing with this, Giles, is that um, you know I, I put a lot of effort into the story that I wrote you because what really riles me about this is that you know all this stuff about trying to lower energy prices and all this stuff about now we need a royal commission you know what we've had enough inquiries we've had enough reports we all know what the problems are the government knows what the problems are and frankly having a royal commission into energy prices is like having a royal commission into a royal commission or into royal commissions the 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 government refuses to acknowledge that they are the fourth largest energy retailer in Australia. And if they want to do something about energy prices, as the fourth largest retailer in Australia, they can do something right now. Absolutely right now. They're also a generator and they're also effectively gaming the system. We mentioned this in one of our previous podcasts. So they're making money by driving wholesale prices up. We saw evidence of that in South Australia not long ago. So they know exactly what's going on. They're profiting off it. And, and, and indeed, so are the state governments in various different entities, whether it's through coal royalties or whether it's through income that they get from network companies or distribution companies or whatever else is. It's a crock. We do not need a Royal Commission into energy. What we need is for the people in Canberra to look out the window and what they'll see is somewhere between 20 and 50% of roofs have solar on top. People love it. People want to buy it. And the vast majority of Australians are very concerned about climate change. So let's just get on with it and not have another wasted inquiry. Look, I couldn't agree more, Nigel. Um, in fact, I think I remember writing way back in 2012 or 2013 saying if Gillard wanted to win the next election, she needed to just focus on the falling cost of rooftop solar because that was obviously the best way to reduce power bills and to give people an access to do that. So, it's so yeah, simple. It, 
It is so simple. And look, it's really interesting because some of these state governments have finally cottoned onto it. Now, last time we did the podcast, Bingo. we mentioned mm. about Victoria and mm. their plan to um, put 2.6 gigawatts into um, of rooftop solar with this scheme to support 650,000 households. And, and sensational yeah, program. Well, sensational program, even though it did have an unfortunate sort of short term effect because. Um, um, some people sort of turn their attention to getting a uh, a bigger rebate rather than buying now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was brought out by some of the figures released by the government this week saying that they had 9,000 inquiries already. So that's pretty interesting. Yep. Yep. But the I, interesting... Visit, I visited them, you know, when I was down there last week. Well, um, yeah, let me get on to it first. Um, both <laughs> Victoria and South Australia have both announced sort of a couple of days after the other, details of battery storage subsidies, which is really oh, interesting because, you know, subsidies are supposed to be the thing that we don't have anymore. But mm-hmm. both the Victorian and the South Australian government have talked about these subsidies. And South Australia, it's really interesting because um, the state government there says, well, this will bring down prices for everyone because it will add almost like a peaking power station at uh, critical times of day. So that's mm-hmm. their justification. Mm-hmm. And then in solar too. So they're both around about... Um, well, South Australia is a between about. Well, you could get you could get up to six thousand um, dollars rebate or grant for your battery storage, depending yeah. on how much you want. And um, slightly scaled between um, everyone and um, a bit more for per kilowatt hour for the people who are on lower incomes who've got a pensioner card or something. Mm-hmm. In Victoria, it's scaled slightly different. It's about half the cost up front, and about up to about four thousand eight hundred and thirty-four dollars. And all of this is going to be managed by some new thing called Solar Victoria, which you visited. Yeah, I did. I did. I was. I was. Well, well. I mean, Solar Victoria is still coming together as a as a body, but I did manage to get down to the um, Victorian government body that is overseeing this and is and is establishing it. And I have to say, I was mightily impressed. Oz. It was great to get down and and, and actually talk face to face with these guys and make a couple of suggestions to them about how they might address some of the concerns that industry has. What was really uh, impressive to me was a um, uh, the quality of the people that they've got involved in the program was exceptional. We met one of the technical guys who was uh, driving the technical outcomes that they need through the program. He was a very very clever young fellow and really impressive. And the guy managing the program overall and helping to set up Solar Victoria down there was also um, really really concerned about making sure that quality was involved. They had um, some broader ambition around helping networks, and indeed there's some money put aside to help the networks address some. Of these problems and while I was in Victoria I was visiting a couple of customers around the uh, around the region and of course you know the network challenges are very very real in some of these areas particularly once you get out into rural and regional areas so I have to say um, you know whilst I was a bit critical of the uh, speed at which this program was introduced I was mightily impressed with the commitment and the dedication of of the team down there to make this happen and make it happen fast and to catch up which is really really impressive and also with the engagement that they're now ramping up. And my visit was one of a number of visits from industry participants, and I know the uh, various different industry bodies were on their way to see them, either prior to me or after me as well. So there was a, you know, almost a queue of people lined up, ready to go in and um, give them their views on what they thought the program should look like. So they're moving very fast. They've got some big, ambitious targets. Um, one of the other things that was interesting was even though the government's going to head into caretaker mode shortly, um, the program's going to 
to kind of be able to run along without having to necessarily be too affected by that. So that's really good news. Yeah, um, I think about 28,000. I think there's money already been set aside for equivalent to 28,000 homes. So that right. can kind of continue. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's moving fast. We, we, we There was an indication that we thought we might see the advanced program guidelines or the more detailed programs guidelines come out perhaps this week if we're lucky and maybe even the first rebate this week if we're lucky. Like crikey. Well, let me know if you hear about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, it was interesting. Um, we haven't heard that, as you say, they're about to go to caretaker mode because they are about to have a state election. So that will be critical, not just for the extent of that program, but also the battery storage component, which they announced this week. Yep. Um, I haven't heard anything from the opposition there. They just seem to be mostly sort of, you know, throwing stones through windows, as far as they can see, on renewables. Um, kind of a little bit like what happened in South Australia, actually. But funnily enough, with the Liberal government, Government that's been elected in South Australia, they yeah. did actually have their own battery storage proposal beforehand. It yeah. looks like they've kind of tweaked it quite heavily to take in some of the better aspects of the Labor government proposal. Mm-hmm. So now they're looking at possibly linking them or not making that compulsory so they can actually be joined in a virtual power plant if the households are agreeable. There's going to be local manufacture, yep. um, which in turn has encouraged German battery maker Sonnen to go mm. ahead with its previously announced plans, which were up mm. in the air, I've got to say, about yep. having a battery storage facility in um, Adelaide. And, um, yeah, the old, the old uh, General Motors Holden yeah, uh, facility, fa- I believe. What, right? a fant- what a fantastic use. Um, what a fantastic use for an old manufacturing site. And um, look, on the Energy Insiders podcast, I had an interview with uh, Dan Van Holst um, Pelican, who's the Energy Minister, and um, it was interesting to talk to him and get his perspective. He seems to be quite p- comfortable with the mixture of renewable storage and the possibilities of new manufacturing industries and the clean tech economy so that was nice to hear from a coalition minister so um what it's, it's a, really a federal one of, it's really <laughs> has, oh, i'm with you i'm very upbeat this week giles you know the, seeing batteries come in on the back of the programs i actually had one of our algo guys uh, our algorithm team bail me up and uh, talk to me about the visit to victoria and what's happening and the battery stuff that's coming and he said you know we're watching what's happening in the network we've got two, more than twenty-two thousand sites out there that we can see around the country and uh and he said, you know, these batteries, this is what we need. We're seeing voltage events happening more and more frequently. And, and it's the, the downside of, I guess, of solar, especially in, um, uh, in thin grids, you know, thin networks where voltage gets pushed up. And batteries are the answer to so much of this for, for, in so many different ways. There's so many benefits that can come. South Australia is focused on the VPP aspect of it, which is really, really cool. And there's some really exciting stuff that's going to come out of, of, of new VPP trials in in addition to the existing ones that are out there. Um, uh, in the Victorian case, what they're going to do is they're going to enable people to utilise that energy for their own benefit and, and, and to you know get more savings out of the system by being able to spread the energy over the day by using batteries. But also, you know, uh, it, it, it resolves some of these network issues. So, I, I, you know, can't commend these guys enough for looking beyond just the solar panels on the roof that are critical, but looking beyond them and going to batteries as well. This is, this is how we're going to accelerate the uptake of solar. It's great news.
Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and it's interesting. The South Australia scheme looks to have forty thousand households through this particular scheme um, with batteries over the next four years. That's about um, or about fifteen, almost twenty percent of um, the number of households that have rooftop solar now. Um, there'll yep. probably be a few more than that because um, they'll they'll tag along with um, some of the zero interest loan stuff. So mm-hmm. that's pretty interesting. Um, look, let's have. I, I got. I managed to talk um, with. Christoph Ustermann, who is the founder and CEO of Sonnen, and um, had a few questions to ask him about um, why Australia and why Australia is looking like such an exciting market for battery storage, so much so that they're going to go to GM Holden and manufacture them there. Let's have a listen. Fantastic. Christoph Ustermann, the founder and CEO of Sonnen Battery, uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. On Saturday, the South Australia government announced a major initiative to subsidise the installation of battery storage in households in South Australia. That was supported by $100 million in financing from the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. A day later, you have announced plans to create a manufacturing plant in Adelaide. Um, Clearly, the two are are related. Well, um, I mean, first of all, we think that Australia is uh, one of the leading markets when it comes to residential photovoltaic um, and the residential battery storage. Um, and secondly, of course, the subsidy program helps uh, kicking the market off. Uh, but um, uh, I mean, the main driver is actually that uh, solar plus storage really makes economic sense in Australia. That's the main driver then. That, that, that's making you, you, I think you have said that Australia is the most attractive market outside of your home market in Germany. Um, what's making it the most attractive market? I presume it's something to do with the retail prices and the falling cost of um, solar and, and storage. Actually, I think that Australia is even more attractive than the German market because, because you guys are much more lucky with the weather. <laughs> right? So you have a perfect irradiation. You have a very mature um, solar market already with a very high density of uh, residential um, uh, photovoltaic systems. And uh, then thirdly, you have relatively high retail power prices, um, around 40 cents per kilowatt hour. This is extraordinary. And uh, in under these uh, circumstances, um, uh, self-consumption of solar power makes a lot of sense. Mm. And, and then I guess um, the situation in South Australia with their increasing share of variable renewable energy, wind and solar, um, that um, increases the need for battery storage. Absolutely, especially on a grid level, it makes a lot of sense because um, uh, the generation of renewable energy always leads to the fact that the production side is very volatile and this um, puts the grid uh, under stress and we can take the stress out of the grid by actually providing flexibility, taking power off grid if if needed and uh, re-injecting it into the grid um, uh, later on. So you have talked about the creation of a virtual power plant. Now, this, I understand, is the linking of rooftop solar and battery storage so they can be orchestrated together and provide exactly that service that you are talking about. What size of virtual power plant are you thinking of creating in South Australia or do you think could be created? And how will that operate? Mm-hmm. Okay, actually, um, the uh, factory we built is, has a capacity of 10,000 systems a year. So let's just assume that over the next five years, we um, install 50,000 battery systems and we virtually connect all of them together. This will give us between 150 and 250 megawatts, just depending on the size of the battery storages we install. But let's assume it's only 150 megawatt. This is the size 
of a gas-fired um, uh, peaking um, power station. So this really helps supporting the grid uh, tremendously. And is it in, does it end up being cheaper than a gas-fired power station? It is, of course, cheaper because at the end of the day, there is no capex needed because uh, the assets belong to the end customer. So the, the grid services we can deploy on top of the basic use case of self-consumption is um, possible to, to deploy that at marginal costs very close to zero. How quickly do you think you can get your battery storage factory in um, up and running? Now, um, according to your press release today, that you're going to be using the old Holden um, factory site. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Well, we we um, have preparing this already um, over the last couple of months, and uh, we will start manufacture there within the next six weeks, actually. So very very soon. And how quickly will it? And then we are going to ramp up. Okay, so, so when do you expect to see batteries actually being manufactured and produced there? Well, within the next two months. Oh, okay. So, so the facilities are largely there, so you're putting in your production line and you'll be producing within a couple of months. Absolutely, absolutely. The main challenge is actually to find the right people, but there is a lot of skilled workforce um, here in South Australia, so I think this can be done relatively soon, and we expect to start production there within the next two, three months. Will you be rolling out your Sonnen flat? Um, um, your, it, it's it's a pricing scheme where people um, basically pay pay nothing for for the electricity over a year, apart from a fee to you. Will this battery storage facility um, or, or this this deal with the South Australian government will that be about Sonnen flat or will that be something different? No, this will exactly about uh, this will be about the Sonnen flat. Absolutely. Um, at the end of the day, the Sonnen flat is nothing else then we deploy grid services with the systems of our customers. And as a reward, the customers get free grid power from us. Mm. What about um, taking this model and taking it into other states in Australia? What, what else looks um, attractive? What, what other markets in Australia look attractive? Well, I think New South Wales is another attractive market, and why not Victoria? At the end of the day, I think we can uh, deploy this system all over Australia. Because of the the climate preconditions are perfect, you have a lot of sun, and the power prices are high everywhere, and um, I don't see any obstacles deploying this all over the place. So how far do you see the battery storage market growing in Australia? Um, I think it was 20,000 units sold last year. Um, presumably, you're, you're counting on that increasing mm -hmm. quite significantly over the coming years. Yeah, absolutely. I see, I see growth rates um, in the area of 50 to 100% a year. This is a similar a similar growth we've, we've seen in Europe as well. Mm, that's extraordinary. There's many forecasts talking about the future nature of the grid and how we're shifting from a centralized um, a, a centralized grid to a decentralized future where one half of all demand is actually supplied by distributed generation. So that means rooftop solar, that means battery storage, that means demand management and, and, and other things. Um, presumably you share in those forecasts. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We think uh, that uh, the decentralization means that the distribution grids are becoming more and more important. Um, and this is exactly why we need distributed storage as well, because the distribution grids are not made for heavy loads, nor on the production side, uh, not on the uh, consumption side. So um, uh, what is exactly needed there is battery storage in order to give flexibility to the volatility of uh, production. And do you think that in Australia, the network owners and the market operators understand this and are working towards that? I think they understand that very well. 
um, absolutely, uh, because already there's a relatively high share of renewable energies in Australia, and the price signals we get from the marketplace, I mean, you have a market for this flexibility here, um, shows very clearly that there is, first of all, a high need, and secondly, that um, the market players understand that. Mm. Just getting back to the batteries that you will be uh, manufacturing in Adelaide, um, what size batteries will these be? Well, we will start with the size of five kilowatt hours, but I mean the average size will probably rather be around 10 kilowatt hours we are going to, to sell here in Australia. The maximum size we are offering is 15 okay. kilowatt hours storage capacity. So this is the perfect size for the residential space and it's of course scalable, it's not um, uh, one size fits all. Uh, what we're pursuing, we um, try to adapt the size of the system exactly to the specific needs of the customer. Okay. And where are we heading with battery storage prices? I think that a lot of people were expecting a decrease over the last couple of years. That has not really been seen. Um, do you expect battery storage costs to fall sometime over the next couple of years and by how much? Well, I think that the main um, cost down already happened over the last years. I remember very well when we started um, our company in 2010, um, we had crazy prices. Uh, even in Germany, the, the payback time was six, seven, eight hundred years. I don't know, but no chance to earn the money back in, in a lifetime. <laughs> but uh, today, this looks uh, totally different. We uh, cut costs by already um, 85, 90 percent. And today, if you see the case of Australia, together with the new um, home battery scheme, the payback time is down to let's say two and a half to five years, depending on the specific case. So in worst case, you have a payback after five years. And this is not so bad after all. Absolutely. So the, the home battery storage scheme, and, and you expect those subsidies, because they're starting off quite strong, aren't they? But you expect those subsidies to actually decline over time. Yes, so this is what the government uh, announced. And I think it also makes sense. Mm. So the consumers well, Post being interested yeah. in such a system should be fast. Exactly. Okay. Crystal Posterman, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. So that was uh, Christoph Usterman, the uh, CEO and founder of Sonnen um, Batteries. So um, that's all good stuff, Nigel. It's really um, good. And, and Sonnen are really one of those really interesting companies that they're kind of, you know, not necessarily a big name brand that everyone knows of in Australia, and, and but they're doing some really cool stuff. They've got some really good tech. They've got some really interesting founders behind them and some, some people providing um, um, the money uh, and, and helping drive the deployment of that technology. And it's just... You know, you know when you when you step back just for a minute and look at what's happening in Australia, Giles, and you see this kind of company coming to Australia and saying we're going to invest, we're going to take up some old facilities here that have that have passed their use by date. We're going to reinvigorate them. We're going to help drive more technology into the marketplace. It's you know this is what we should be doing, Giles. What I can think of another GM plant, former GM plant that was turned into sort of a battery storage thing, and that's the Tesla plant in San Francisco, which is actually oh, a GM plant and became a Toyota plant that's and true, became became yeah. the Tesla, Tesla plant. So um, yeah, so there you go. We're we're recycling as well. We're we recycling. We're fantastic. Yeah. 
fantastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> hey, listen, let's get on to some other news. Um, look, one mm. thing that um, just uh, we wrote about today was AGL getting out of the rooftop solar um, installation business, at least on the residential side. They're going to keep the commercial space. side going. Mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. out of that. Um, what do you mm-hmm. make of that? Because um, they bought Rizico oh, a few years ago. Oh, which years ago. Years w- and years Yes, ago. which is way too, way, too for my, way, way too way back for my limited corporate memory. But... Um, <laughs> But it's interesting, AGL, this comes three weeks after the departure of Andy Vesey um, mm. in mysterious circumstances. This is the man who sort of stood mm. up to the federal government trying to jawbone them into keeping the fed income um, Liddell power <laughs> generator online. It's, um, got to say that Liddell's not very fed income because every time it gets a bit hot, it um, falls over. But falls um, over, yeah. Anyway, maybe yeah. that's the definition of fed income power now. Um, yeah. And it comes about five months after they closed their new energy division and the head of the mm. new energy division, Elizabeth Brinton, sort of disappeared off into the distance. Mm. But they say he's got nothing to do with that. Mm. He's got nothing to do with that. It's just a simple... A simple assessment. Corporate but, restructuring. Know, corporate yeah. restructure. Yeah. It's, it's an accounting decision, not a policy decision, they say. Yeah. But what do you reckon? Oh, yeah, look, it's an interesting one, Giles. I mean, as you know, you know, I've watched the ebb and flow of, of the industry for many, many years. And, and indeed, you know, talking about another utility, Origin Energy, when they first got into solar, cripes it would be almost 20 years ago they started dabbling and AGL were not far behind them back then and and what we saw was they kind of got in and then they did it for a few years and then they kind of lost interest and got out and did other things and they came back again they got in they threw a whole lot of money at it and they got out again and 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 we've seen the same thing with virtually all the retailers um, particularly going back sort of 10 years or so and and I think what we're seeing with AGL is is really is just part of that natural restructuring that you see in very, very large corporate entities where their, their focus shifts, um, you know, what, what they're trying to achieve shifts, uh, how they're going to do it shifts, you know, and, you know, let's face it, for a very, very large corporate with, you know, correspondingly large overheads, fighting it out in the residential space is extremely tough going. It's very, very hard for them to be competitive and to make any money out of it. So they've got to try and find other things that they're getting out of it. And maybe they have for a while, but ultimately what they've come to the conclusion of, which is what many solar businesses are also concluding is, well, I could do 100 deals that are, you know, five kilowatts, or I could do one 500 kilowatt deal. And what makes more sense for me as a business? And for a business with a large overhead, like um, like a corporate company like AGO, I can kind of understand how they would come to that conclusion. Um, they're doing quite well in that space as our origin. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily surprise me. Um, I, I, think, I think it's, you know, all about just this natural shift shifting and ebbing and flowing of what's going on in the space and and, and particularly with it being hyper competitive now and you know frankly these um, fresh rebates that we've seen are, are you know causing a you know a firestorm of activity and enthusiasm and motivation in the industry and that's bringing in new competitors and sometimes that's good sometimes that bad but it's going to get ferocious out there and the small guys are a lot more nimble than the retailers so you know in hindsight looking at these announcements i'd suggest that it's maybe probably the right move for them to just stand back and let the market fight it out in this resi space and they can sit back and focus on on commercial where uh, they can make it work a bit better that's my well, guess well that's not a bad guess i wouldn't we all like to be in a business where you can write off 47 million dollars investment without blinking um, <laughs> but, uh, Indeed. Uh, got a little way to go look got, got a little way to go but <laughs> little... we're making we're making progress we're making yeah, progress subscribers are growing you know it's good <laughs> 
T-shirt sales, Giles. It's all about T-shirt, t-shirt sales. sales from absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> hey, listen, um, look, another thing's worth mentioning, the um, Victorian planning changes, which means that people who do extensions on their houses or even de- build new buildings have got to take mm. into account the fact that their neighbours have got rooftop solar panels, uh, PV or hot water. Interesting development. Oh, really cool development. And, you know, I've, I've on and off over the years, I've come across this solar access issue over and over again. I've actually helped a couple of people along the way, you know, fight cases and some successful, not so some not so successful. But um, uh, there there is um, a real case for planning rules like this that protects solar access, not just for PV and hot water, but for just access to sunlight in your home, for goodness sake. There was a story in the paper just the other day about it in in Sydney about a lady who's had a development grow up and it's just completely shaded her house and she has no daylight in her home anymore. And that affects people's health, let alone if they have PV and hot water, which relies on that to keep their energy costs down. So with the government's focus, both federally and state, on helping people to drive down their energy costs, this is a a very, very welcome move, and um, I really hope there's. I, I, th- I think this is potentially a precedent that could be rolled out across Australia. So really, um, really great move to see them doing this. It also, you know what? The other thing that strikes me, Giles, is when you look at this announcement, with the timing around the other announcements, what it shows is then it, it's starting to come out now with announcements like this that they are actually thinking about the bigger picture here. It's not just about can we slap 650,000 solar systems on the roof. It's about how do we do that? How do we add batteries to make sure the people can utilize the energy efficiently how do we manage the network issues that are coming in around it and now we're starting to see well what are the planning issues that we need to see so it's starting to shape up like a very well considered um holistic plan which i really like the look of that's it's really cool I seem to remember sending you around to the um, home of an a, uh, uh, of an ABC presenter who shall remain unnamed. Um, <laughs> who, who used to be slightly doubtful about my claims about um, about solar PV and said, "Well, my system doesn't work very well." And I think you went around and discovered that been extensions on the ne- on the neighbouring house, and that explained exactly. why the system wasn't working very well. Exactly. I found two problems there. I found one was the neighbour had done an upright, ex- uh, uh, gone up another story, and had virtually completely shaded her solar array, which was a huge problem that she had little impact on a little idea of um and we also found the solar hot water system actually wasn't working so you know she wasn't getting the savings there and it, and it turns out her pv was uh, was completely shadowed so yeah it happens okay. it happens okay. now look next item on the list is lots of vacant jobs in solar and i'm um, talking about hiring and um, i'd like you to explain to me about why you're talking about this on the podcast not advertising on on, on renew economy well i've sent you the ads charles <laughs> Oh, you have, you have. Oh, sorry, I'll take that back. weeks ago. Take it back. <laughs> I was going to ring you today and say, why aren't my ads up? I'm desperate for people. They're no, going look. up tonight. They're going up tonight. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I've got to talk to my advertising manager. I've got to talk, talk to my advertising manager. If yeah, I remember got, rightly, we gave you a 50% influence. discount. Yeah, you've got influence over him, if I recall correctly, as well. Um, no, look, what's been great, I've been on the road a lot over the last few weeks, uh, up in Queensland this week and uh, Victoria last week, South Australia the week before that, and one thing that is clear, um, talking to everybody, I mean, everybody's hiring, right? Whether it's for large-scale, whether it's for residential, whether it's for commercial, um, uh, there is a plethora of jobs out there at the moment, and um, the challenge is finding great people. Uh, so there are a lot of opportunities for people to come into this industry, which is great. 
Um, we're, we're actually trying to find a bunch of different people. We're trying to find developers at the moment. We're trying to find product managers. I'm looking to enhance my sales team. I've got to double my sales team in the next, um, cripes, nine months. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a huge amount of opportunity out there. So for any listeners who have ever thought about getting into, uh, the solar industry now is a really, really good time. Get on the, the job hunting forums or, you know, even better. Don't do that. Just call me and we'll, we'll check you out first. Good stuff. Hey, look, let's go quick run through Crap Solar, our regular segment here. Now, you've got something here about lawnmowers setting fire to your panels. What on earth are you talking about? <laughs> so, <laughs> there's ne- I tell you, I, never, I have not uh, mowed my solar panels once, and I've had my solar <laughs> panels for two years, I can point out. <laughs> there is never a week goes by, then there isn't some absolute gold on Crap Solar or some of the other websites that are out there. These guys just keep me nonstop entertained. There was a photo of a solar array. Uh, that had on a shed uh, in South Australia, I think it was. Apparently, it's been going doing the rounds for a, a year or two, so it's not a brand new photo. But there was this photo that had been used numerous times. Oh, look, solar panels can catch fire. Well, the guy who actually installed that system piped up and highlighted that the solar panels didn't catch fire. What actually happened was the petrol powered, the old-fashioned petrol powered lawnmower had been wheeled into the shed. Some fuel leaked out onto the exhaust, set fire to the mower. The shed was full of combustible stuff it set fire which of course set fire to the solar panels on the roof as well um so you know it highlights that you know some of the stuff that you see out there is fake news in this case that had been used against solar in some cases um and it highlights that when you get to the bottom of it that's not always the case and it also to me really highlighted the great work that some of our industry bodies particularly the cec are doing around standards and around accreditation of product and the fact that you know the, the the guidelines have been getting stricter and stricter and stricter and as a consumer of solar panels or as an installer of solar panels you can choose and should choose fire retardant models only um, many many years ago um, when I was with a, a very large solar company we saw some issues with combustible materials that we used uh, in solar panels in in those days and um, very quickly realized that we needed to change the material mix that we were using to use fire retardant um, uh, materials and of course when you're out there shopping for panels you know if you buy at the bottom end of the market what are you skimping on well one of the things that you're probably skimping on is fire retardants uh, uh, uh fire retardant materials so it was a great example to me of how you know really high quality products and quite a, uh, and, and 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 not buying at the bottom end of the market can actually help you so um don't let your lawnmower set fire to your solar panels and choose good quality gear that's definitely fire retardant ask for it and to some customers out there, if um, they're getting any messages that LG are having a product recall, what do we tell them? Oh, no. now this was, <laughs> this this is a clanger. LG Solar, just let's make it really, really clear. LG Solar is not having a warranty recall. And I actually listened to an audio recording, uh, which we may get to share uh, in the very near future. It's probably going to be the case, uh, be, be uh, part of a, a legal case, I would suggest where um, an unscrupulous solar retailer um, was out there. Um, they'd installed some LG solar panels and contacted the customer not long after they were installed and said, oh, listen, um, we've been advised that there's a recall. We're going to come and pull them off your roof uh, because they've been recalled, but it's okay. We'll replace them under warranty. Don't worry, blah, 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 blah. Well, the customer who owned that system actually contacted LG solar directly and um, and was told emphatically that there has never been a recall on LG solar panels and and 
uh, that that was an absolute lie and it was an absolute scam. And of course, what we know is that we have seen these scams happening before, where what unscrupulous solar retailers can do is say, oh, look, there's been a warranty problem. They go in, they pull those panels off the roof when they're only three or six months old, replace them, get the STCs all over again, and then sell those panels that they've pulled off the roof a second time. So yeah, it is an, it's ab- it's mm. an absolute scam, and it is just... It blows my mind that there are people out there that would do this, Charles, but clearly there are. So don't believe... Um, I don't believe for a minute that there is uh, a recall on LG products. Okay. And now air conditioners, inst- air conditioner installations. Um, what's going on there? <laughs> so this was uh, this was I think my all-time favourite photo from Crap Solar. It was a, a, a shot of a commercial solar array, or an array on a commercial building, decent installation, decent size, everything else, and blow me down if there wasn't a great big huge piece of conduit right across the top of one of the solar panels. And we all kind of looked at it and went, what? Have these have these solar installers actually installed the cabling over the top of the solar panels? Is is that is that even is there anyone out there in the world who would actually do that? But only um, people want to misunderstand the meaning of bifacial panels, I suppose. <laughs> Potentially. Potentially, and I've seen some crazy things, but but as it turned out, what this was was another lesson that uh, solar owners need to learn, and that is that it was nothing to do with the installers of the solar. What had happened was after the solar installed was installed, uh, a, a separate entity, a separate company had come through and installed some air conditioning units on the roof, and the drain pipe the water drain pipe that comes out of the bottom of the air conditioning unit needed to go somewhere. And the shortest route to the gutter was directly across the solar panels. So they ran a drain pipe right across the top of the solar panel. They'd, it looks like they'd tried to take it off because half the clamps were missing as well. Decided it was too hard. Decided they couldn't get under it. And so they just ran the pipe across the top of the solar array. And of course, this customer undoubtedly contacted the installer and said, hey, there's something wrong with my solar system. It's not generating what it should. So the lesson for end users here is even though your solar might have been done really, really well, don't forget to check on your other tradies if they're up working on your array. Um, it is, sadly, you need to get up and check in on what these people are doing and make sure that they haven't made a mess of your solar on the roof. Not the first time I've heard something like this either. So, uh, yeah, yeah, check in. Look, and, and, and sometimes failing to check in can have um, really serious consequences. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm, yeah, well, we, I think we saw a, um, a, de- a death of a young installer recently. This is this is very sad, um, Giles, and and you know we've been very fortunate in this industry that we have had um, very very few deaths and and uh, very few injuries as well. We're very heavily regulated, but there was tragic news. Um, and rest in peace to this young fellow. The the story that I've heard so far is that it was a very young nineteen year old um, apprentice. He was participating in an install on a fairly high roof. Um, and as is often um, uh, the case on some of these commercial buildings where skylights are installed, he, he put a foot wrong and went through the skylight and, and tragically, uh, absolutely tragically, a few days later passed away. 
Um, this has had really big ripple effects across the industry, and I watched um, watched a very big um, uh, post go down the other day with lots and lots of people talking about how they were going to address this and what they could do to make sure that their guys were were safe on the roof and what practices they were putting in place. So it's um, you know it's, it's, when it's an important thing to remember because I know that margins are tight for 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 most in the industry, but you still got to think yep. about safety. You have to. There's no point doing solo if you don't get home to your family. And um, so be safe out there, guys. Um, take a little bit of extra time. Uh, have your toolbox talks. Make sure that you're doing everything that needs to be done so that everyone in your crew gets home safe and sound at the end of the day. Okay. Now, look, we, let's try and finish this with a bit of an update message. Um, go off to electric vehicles. And um, look, for those who have not yet visited the uh, website, um, a new electric vehicle focus website it's called thedriven.io mm-hmm. thedriven mm-hmm. and um look it's getting great pickup already and um fantastic. lots of people looking fantastic response we had a bunch of readers questions out there as well people are asking sort of simple questions about how do i charge my electric vehicle what if i live off grid what if i've got this that and the other thing and um oh. and um fantastic that, man yeah, congratulations great. look that's and great we've, news and, and we've had a few articles by you as well so yes um, yes yeah, i shot and, one um, in the other day Yes, the, the Kalashnikov conundrum to which I, to which I added the little headline "Guns and um, and something roses." <laughs> good, 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 good. So, um, I, I, well, a, a real quick one on EVs because I know we've got a whole nother. You've got a whole nother place now for all your EV stuff. But I thought one well, we, interesting. No, go ahead. Go, you go ahead. I'll give, no, I'll, I'll give my plug to the EV podcast in a minute. But um, okay. yes, <laughs> one really interesting sort of. I guess the story of the trials and tribulations, there was an Indian startup um, that, that I became aware of probably about a year ago called Vigo. Uh, they announced an electric motorcycle, a um, glorious looking machine. I mean, it was just beautiful, beautiful looking bike. Um, massive claims. They were claiming 400 kilometers of range. It looked incredible. It was very high spec. And I kind of noticed that I hadn't noticed them for a while. And then sure enough, the other day, I saw a, a very desperate plea for backers because their backers have pulled out. Um, and it kind of highlights that, you know, what they were claiming in terms of a 400k range on a, on a bike really was extraordinarily difficult to achieve. And, and how they were ever going to do it, I don't know. Um, it would have meant somewhere between a 24 and a 48 kilowatt hour battery, which just won't physically fit in, a, in, in a, a, an electric motorcycle. So maybe a little bit too much ambition it, it it's great to see lots of new um and really enthusiastic people entering the space but it does show how difficult it is to bring evs to the market we're seeing that with all the makers um but yeah interesting you know we'll wait and see if they can come back and survive and, and whether they get some new backers mm, interesting stuff and look um we do have a um a podcast on the um new ev site it's called the driven podcast i've done a couple of interviews a couple of interesting ones with um tony sieber and then this week with alan finkel the chief scientist who's a bit of an ev freak he's got two evs and he's also into hydrogen economy and possibly hydrogen uh, fuel cell vehicles and um what I'd like to do is actually set up a bit of an EV um, um, EV newscast. Um, so if you like what you just heard from Nigel about Vigo and some of his other um, insights, um, if you can find a sponsor out there to take a um, EV news thing, and we can do this every fortnight as well, um, but focusing on electric vehicles, um, oh, that'd be great. And um, yeah. I can't wait. 
Mm, we'll see what happens. We need a sponsor for that. But look, probably a good time to thank our sponsors for this um, particular show, which um, it, of course is Solar Analytics and SunWizards PV Cell. So thank you to Warwick for his support and um, mm. and uh, check out his PV Cell software. It's very, very useful. And, uh, and we've only, got another twenty one. 21 sleeps to all 21, energy, Giles. 20, oh, 21 sleeps to all energy. Is that right? Is that that close, is it? Gosh, 20 <laughs> sleeps by the time people listen to this. Have you booked a ticket? Um, have you got anywhere to sleep? You haven't, have you? I've got tickets to the city, but I haven't got anywhere to sleep yet. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'll work on that. Um, so, look, yeah, we're having a live podcast. So what we're going to do, we're actually going to combine the Solar Insiders team that's you and me, the Energy Insiders team, that's um, me and David Leach. Um, we've got a couple of guests. We've got um, Simon Corbell um, from um, the ACT in now Victoria and... Um, Glenn, Glenn Morelli from Tinder. Glenn Morelli from Tinder. Australia's Solar. only PV manufacturer, that's right. So I've got it at lunchtime on the first day. It's in one of the main forums there, one of the main sort of areas. Um, and look, it should be great fun. We're going to do the podcast. We're going to chat amongst ourselves for half an hour as we do, how we get five or six people into that because we've already gone to 32 minutes here or, or whatever. And you know what, Joel? We've got some T-shirts, so we should oh. give away a few signed T-shirts, I reckon. Give we them could... away? I thought we were going to sell them. Well, <laughs> What about our $47 billion write-down? We've got to get ready for that. <laughs> we yeah, yeah, okay. we need we'll money sell, in the we'll bank. We'll sell them. Okay, okay. You got it. But we can certainly sign them, right? So we if we get listeners there, I, I really hope we get a great, crack, a great crowd there with lots of questions for us. We can have some fun. Um, I hope David brings his guitar because I, I know he's a very, very accomplished uh, guitarist. Well, I'm this is going to be the that. big test, actually, because, um, look, I think he actually did do the intro music for um, Energy Insiders and, um, and oh, God, I can't remember what the Solar Insiders as well, so perhaps he can do it live. That's what I want to hear, mate. Wow. That's what, I just want to meet him. I haven't got to meet him yet. He's oh, just a look, he's great dude. Yeah, well, he's, he's it's going to be now. great. He's going to get back just in time because he's often the uh, he's often Europe with his Lycra and his bicycle and his credit card, sort of um, enjoying the delights <laughs> of the Moselle Valley and then France. So. Um, all very good. So um, I'm really looking forward to it. it. It should be so much fun, and and the key is going to be lots of lots of listeners there with lots of live questions for us, so we can, um, you know, test us, see what we can come up with. Fantastic. Look, we've gone. Um, we've actually gone well over forty minutes. Um, but um, look, um, th- th- so this episode is dedicated for the person I can't remember who it was who said to me last week. Sydney traffic is now so bad, it's really disappointing that your podcast doesn't last any longer. So um, <laughs> I hope you've had lots of red traffic lights and you're stuck in traffic and you're still listening to us, um, to the others. Um, I hope you've managed to um, stay on tune. So thanks very much, Nigel. We'll talk again in a fortnight. Talk soon. Bye now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by SunWiz, makers of PV cell software that gives retailers the tools to stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar consultancy.